Blog Talk Radio. Sunday, everybody. This is the Michael Cutler Hour being brought to you on an unusual day uh, because of my error on Friday. Uh, I misprogrammed my computer, wound up with a 15-minute segment today. I can assure you we have a full hour to visit with you. I thank you for joining me. Um, I hope all is well in your world. And away we go, as the late, great Jackie Gleason would have said. Um, those of you who are familiar with me, familiar with the program, know that I'm a retired senior special agent of what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service. And my 30-year career with the old INS, now uh, ICE, and other elements of what I've come to disparagingly refer to as the Department of Homeland Surrender, because it was really designed to fail even after the attacks of 9-11. There's no other conclusion that I could come to. And I'm not alone in this uh, assessment, unfortunately. But nevertheless, uh, my understanding of the immigration issue is, is not something that I acquired overnight. And it's an issue that I am passionate about because the issue of immigration impacts virtually every challenge and threat that confronts America and Americans in this very turbulent era. And I, and I want to discuss a few things today. Uh, first of all, I want to cover the material that I would have discussed uh, with you on Friday, if I didn't mess up. But I also want to give you something to think about in terms of the way that we as Americans tend to choose sides. You know, the hardcore Democrats think that there's something wrong with the Republicans. The Republicans think there's something wrong with the Democrats. And this division of our country, pitting American against American is really a divide-and-conquer strategy that our adversaries have been playing on us for quite some time and, unfortunately, all too successfully. <clears throat> so what I want you to pay attention to is that it's not just the Democrats who are screwed up. It's not just the Republicans who are screwed up. Both political parties have gotten so corrupt that they no longer represent Americans period, end of statement, uh, and, and it's outrageous. But when you look at the amount of money poured into political campaigns, when you look at the Constitution, we the people, talking about the rights of the people, the citizens of this great nation, there's no room in there for corporate wealth, corporate demands, all this other nonsense that we have been doing as a country to placate the folks who are bribing our supposed elected representatives. We have a bidding war in America today, and it's the old story that money talks and BS walks, and the average American doesn't have enough money to buy a new car, let alone contribute meaningfully to political campaigns. And the poorer that the average American gets, the smaller their voice becomes, and the more that the super wealthy are able to gain control over our government, over our country, over our destiny. Think about it. I was just watching an ad on television, and it's an ad for an app, an app 
that you can get so that you can rent your neighbor's car. Um, I've talked about it for a while. I saw it a while ago, but I just saw it again today. There is an app so that you can rent a private person's vehicle. How far have we fallen? When I was a kid, the American dream was a small house with a patch of grass in front of the house, a two-car garage, and two relatively new or, or reasonable cars sitting in the driveway that were fully owned by the owner of the house. That was the American dream. And today, they actually have an app so that you, who cannot buy a car because you're too broke, can perhaps rent your neighbor's car because maybe he's having problems paying for it to be maintained or paying his car loan or her car loan. That's how bad it's gotten. Uh, a few years ago, a professor in Prince, at Princeton University, Princeton certainly no conservative school, said that America had gone from a republic to an oligarchy where the wealthy get what they want and everyone else is lucky if they can get breadcrumbs, basically, and we're almost there. We're almost there because of a series of lies that have been told to the American people again and again and again. It's the same way that Americans poison themselves with cigarettes because Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. And I remember sitting in English class listening to my teacher, not complaining about the message of smoking because everybody smoked, but it was a lesson in grammar because the sentence should have been, Winston tastes good as a cigarette should, not like a cigarette should. That was her concern. You see, the idea of slogans and repeating lies again and again and again till the lies seem to be common knowledge, take on the uh, aura of truth, uh, was a tactic used by the Third Reich. It was called the big lie. Tell a lie, make it big and fat and juicy, and repeat it again and again and again. Every opportunity under every circumstance, just keep telling the lie, and in short order, everybody, but everybody will think that the lie is the truth. Nowhere more do we see this than two issues. I'm not going to get into it today. One, of course, is also climate change. Um, and I do have something of a science background. I'm not a scientist. I don't play one on TV, but I was a science major initially. And <clears throat> I have questions. And maybe the folks, the scientists who claim that the earth is warming uh, because of human activity, that may be merit to what they're saying. That's not what I'm complaining about. What I complain about is that nobody questions what they're being told. Some guy in a white lab coat comes out there and says, this is the way it is, and everyone marches lockstep. And the tactic is to make fun of anybody who would question. Oh, my God, don't you believe in science? I could just see that smirking idiot Bill Maher on his program raising that question. Don't you believe in science? Do you believe in superstition? Well, we know that the Earth has undergone numerous ice ages and thawed out and more ice ages and thawed out. And that's before humans appeared on the planet. I don't think that the dinosaurs were driving 18-wheelers or having barbecues but maybe that's just me. But I'm using this as an example because groupthink is the order of the day. We're not supposed to be independent thinkers. We're not even supposed to fend for ourselves when we're bullied. I hate bullies. I used to get the crap beat out of me every other week 
because I was a science guy growing up, and I really didn't give a damn about sports. To me, my favorite oxymoron is heroic play. I'm, st- I'm still trying to figure out how in blazes you could be a hero when you're playing. But when you're a kid, if you don't think sports is it, oh, my gosh, look out, because you're going to get clobbered. Boy, did I get clobbered. Because my heroes didn't swing sticks and balls. I didn't see that as heroic activity. It's a pastime. It's a hobby. It's silly. For me, the heroes were Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom and Chuck Yeager and all those astronauts and test pilots who led the pathway to the moon and beyond. In fact, they got letters from Shepard and Grissom as a kid. I still have them. I wouldn't trade them for any sports memorabilia. Uh, when I had prostate cancer, for you men out there, if you're 40, please get your PSA checked. I know there's controversy, but it saved my life to cheer me up when I was diagnosed. And that was 18 years ago. My wife got me a model of the X1 autographed by Chuck Yeager, the first man to break the sound barrier. Those were my heroes. But again, groupthink. <laughs> you don't like sports? No, it's not that I don't like sports. I just don't think that the people that put on costumes and, and run around the field playing a game that kids play when they're in school, um, it, it makes them heroes. I mean, they're talented, no argument, but heroes? No, heroes put their lives on the line for a worthwhile cause. Pushing the boundaries of science and securing America's safety. Talk about first responders, police, and federal agents, and, and all law enforcement, and, and, and the EMTs, uh, and, of course, absolutely at the top of that list, our military. Those are heroes. They go in harm's way for the benefit of the members of their community and for the benefit of our country. That's heroic. Playing with a ball is not heroic. It's a hobby. It's something, but I don't know what it is. But this is the way that people become indoctrinated. It's manly to want to play football. I think it's manlier to want to protect our nation. And I'm never more aware of it than when I see these people kneeling before a football game. And I'll tell you what, they do have the First Amendment right to do it. I really believe they do. I'm very strong on that First Amendment. Really, I'm strong on it. But we have to make decisions about whether or not we think that that is heroic. Um, This country's made its share of mistakes, but I'll put it up against any other country in history because we have always worked to right our mistakes right the wrongs, and make our country ever better. And that's what the the Declaration of Independence said, in order to create a more perfect union, more perfect union. This is a work in progress, just as human beings are a work in progress. We try to learn something new each and every day, and the day that you stop learning is the day you die. If not biologically, then certainly mentally and emotionally, you're dead when you stop learning. We should all be pursuing knowledge and fact and truth every single day that God gives us on this planet. Adults are supposed to do. That's what children are supposed to, have that curiosity. Ask the questions. And look at the lies that we've been told. These immigrants, who aren't immigrants, by the way, aliens, illegal aliens, do the work Americans won't do. How many times have we heard it? Well, let me tell you, as a kid, I worked in the back of a restaurant frying the French fried potatoes, washing the dishes, and waiting on tables and bussing the tables. It was a very small little kosher delicatessen in Brooklyn. Where else would a Jewish kid from Brooklyn work? And most of my friends worked in restaurants in my my community. 
they were waiters and worked in the kitchen and did all those jobs that now we associate with, quote-unquote, the immigrants, the undocumented, the lies. Illegal alien is an illegal alien, period. And this isn't political correctness, folks. This is about being Orwellian, altering thoughts through the use of language, because we think with words. When you can change the words, you change the thoughts. Right out of George Orwell, the Ministry of Truth and Newspeak. I was on a radio show. Uh, it was uh, taped earlier this week. Conservative host, nice guy, got no problem with him. But we got into this discussion because of my articles that I've been writing for front page. And he said to me, Mr. Cutler, would you deport every illegal alien in America if you could? I said, if I could, sure, why not? If you're in violation of law, that's the remedy. You're not supposed to be here. You know, we throw people out of bars who misbehave. We throw people out of courtrooms who disrupt the proceedings or, or hearing rooms, whether it's on the city, state, or federal level. There's got to be law and order. Order. Order means people abide by the rules. You get on the highway. If you get pulled over for speeding, you weren't abiding by the rules. There's got to be consequences. We have the most generous immigration policies of any country on the planet. We admit more than one million lawful immigrants every year. What more are we supposed to do? That's more than the rest of the world combined. And frankly, I think it's too many because we're admitting more foreign workers and the number of new jobs we're creating and with automation and artificial intelligence, the number of jobs is going to decline. And there's no reason for Americans to be fired and replaced by foreign workers, but that's what we've been doing with the H-1B visa program because corporations don't want to pay the wages that Americans expect to be paid. So if you flood America with enough third world workers, they bring with them third world expectations of wages and working conditions. And if you bring in enough, and we're almost there now, third world expectations become the new norm for our country, turning America into a third world country. That is the goal here, folks. So here is this guy who said, would you deport everyone? I said, yes. But I said, we don't have the resources. So that's not a possibility, and we probably have not 11 million. If you look at the study by Harvard and MIT, we probably have double or more than that, maybe 25 million. I think that's a low estimate. Sanctuary cities aren't allowing their government officials, whether it's law enforcement or the schools, to ask about immigration status. So how do you take attendance when you don't ask the questions? You see, this is a, it's silly. It's done purposely. Again, to obfuscate the truth, to convince us there's nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving. Keep moving. Nothing happening here. Everything is under control, even though it isn't, you see. And, and then he said something to me, and this was what startled me, because we were talking about the, what's going on on the Mexican border with the mobsters trying to storm our border, the immigrants. And we're being told by the incoming Democrats in Congress that everyone should have been swiftly admitted, processed, and get on with it, and we have no right to stop them, no right to stop them. I'd love to go to their houses and see how quickly they call the police if we start banging on their front door and screaming, let us in. Well, if you don't expect people to gain easy access to your house, why the hell would you expect people to get easy access to our country? Especially when we know that among them are criminals and spies and terrorists, and they suggest that if you haven't done so, Please go to Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. I have a whole bunch of articles up in which I explain the link 
between Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization sponsored, funded, trained, and supported by Iran, a country that is our enemy, no other way of describing it. They have threatened to launch their missiles at our warships. They are threatening a surprise for America and President Trump. President Trump rightfully canceled that horrific nuclear deal with Russia, the leftover detritus of the prior administration. Uh, goodness, the idea is that according to that agreement, and, and they've been cheating on top of it from everything that I've read, but it would guarantee Iran nuclear weapons in 10 years. Big deal. So they wait 10 years, and then our children, our grandchildren, will be at the mercy of a rogue nation that is the largest sponsor of terrorism, and this is considered a great deal. This is lunacy. This is madness. It's an act of national suicide. So we know what's on the border. And, and so we have a problem with terrorists and all this other going on. And there's been congressional hearings, one after another, after another, after another. And I've been before a bunch of hearings. I've testified, I believe we're up to 17 hearings. I'm sure it won't happen again because I'm sure I've angered enough leaders, so-called leaders in name only of both political parties. So I'm sure they don't want to hear what Mike Cutler has to say. But what's the point to the hearings if one hearing after another on the issue of sleeper agents talks about how we are at risk because there are huge numbers of terrorists and supporters of terrorism in Latin America seeking entry in the United States. There are terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil. Uh, and, and we know, again, Hezbollah's activities working in close coordination with Venezuela. The president of Guatemala has stated that not only did his people locate, arrest, and deport nearly 100 members of ISIS in Guatemala, but that he had solid evidence that Venezuela is paying for the caravan. Venezuela is broke. It's a failed state, but Venezuela has a cushy relationship with Iran. And, and though I don't have any documents in front of me, my gut feeling says the potential exists, the potential. I want to be clear. I'm not making a flat-out statement. But as an agent, you look at what possibilities are, and then you pursue your investigation to see if the possibilities, you know, bear out. But certainly the possibility exists that Venezuela is providing money because Venezuela is being provided with money by Iran. Not hard to believe because every week flights from Caracas, from uh, Tehran, Iran, are going right into Caracas, Venezuela. They have a very close relationship. But nevertheless, the host on the show said to me, with Mr. Cutler, if someone has been living in the United States for five years, and if someone who's been living here for five years has been working hard every day, going to work and paying taxes, doesn't that person have the right to stay in the United States? And it stopped me in my tracks. Because I have to tell you, when I do speaking events around the country, I'm asked questions that are as ridiculous as that frequently. So I, I said to the host, and I, I don't know what happens when they, when they edit it because it was a taped interview. God only knows. But I said, you know, when I was a new agent and immigration had clarity back in 1975 when I became a special agent, uh, I spent four years before that as an inspector at the airport, immigration inspector. But I said, in 1975, if we walked into a factory and found somebody working at the factory who had come to America on a tourist visa just weeks earlier and had been given six months to remain in the country so the visa hadn't expired. I said, do you know what you do with an alien who's working in a factory on a tourist visa that's still current? He said, I, I can't imagine. What would you do? I said, we arrested him. 
And the host sounded confused. He said, you arrested him. Why? I said, because he's working. You see, what people have forgotten is that initially the immigration law authority was vested in the Labor Department. The same reason that we have a 40-hour work week goes back to the Depression and the policies of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The Roosevelt administration, from what I have read, did not want Americans working overtime. The idea was to spread the wealth of a job because a job is wealth. A job is a pathway to success in mainstream economic America. Without jobs, you're done. You're finished. And so two things happened. Number one, immigration was under the Labor Department to make certain that Americans would not have to compete with farm workers for jobs and also so that the wages wouldn't be pulled down by third world workers who think that a good uh, payment is a bowl of almost warm rice and a dollar a day or some such nonsense. So the trick is you make certain that American workers get the jobs. American workers have the opportunities for success, and that includes naturalized Americans. You've come to America to improve your situation. How in the world do you improve it when you're competing with workers who shouldn't be here and are willing to accept bupkis for a paycheck. You see, this was the way of protecting American workers, making sure that there was no overtime, that you, if you had extra work to do, employers would have to hire more people so that more people could become productive, tax-paying members of the community, and making certain that Americans wouldn't compete with foreign workers. The responsibility for enforcing immigration law went to the, the Justice Department uh, at the beginning of the Second World War when it was clearly recognized that we needed to keep out saboteurs and spies. Well, that's immigration. So immigration was shifted from labor to Justice Department. And, and, and the host is a nice guy, very successful man, but he said to me, even if they're working and paying taxes, you would deport them? I said, yes, they've stolen a job. They've stolen a job. And no one says that, you see. Because there is a myth. They're on welfare. Many illegal aliens aren't coming to go on welfare. Some are. Some are getting welfare and working, no doubt about it. But the point is, even if all they're doing is coming and working, then they are taking a job an American should have. If they have a skill that is in short demand, then let them apply for a visa, and the Labor Department will certify that there's a shortage. But even the Labor Department lacks the resources. That system has been gamed. So how many times do we hear the lies? Oh, my gosh, there's no Americans to do the job. Oh, my gosh, Americans are stupid. If you look at the schools, our scores, we're, we're 18th in the world in math and science. We're somewhere behind Transylvania or God knows where. These are lies. Yes, the reason that our scores are low is because we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of students in America who cannot speak, read, or write English with any level of proficiency. So when you give them a test like that, they crash and burn and they pull down the average for every American student. Could our schools be better? You're damn right. Should they be better? You're damn right. But Consider the teacher who walks into a classroom and half the kids can't speak English, and that teacher is going to be evaluated on how successful he or she is in teaching kids 
who look at them and say, you know, what, what's going on? They're clueless. They're in a fog. We're bringing in kids who are 14, 15 years old. They can't speak a word of English. They're sitting in a classroom. How do you teach them? I, I know it's fashionable to blame teachers. I've had some pretty bad teachers in my day. We all have. But I had some pretty amazing teachers who altered my life, who, who made a difference in my, in my, in my world, who, who really uh, served their profession well. But let's be clear. When you flood a country with so many students who can't speak, read, or write English, who come from broken homes, whose parents are in jail, who live in abject poverty, who have concerns about whether or not they'll know where they're sleeping tonight or whether or not they're going to be able to have a meal tonight, who didn't have clean clothing to put on this morning, and these are American kids we're talking about, how do you expect them to soar and fly like eagles when they're living in such a chaotic situation, perhaps because their families became homeless, because their families or the breadwinner or breadwinners of the family lost their jobs because they were being made to compete with foreign workers. This is a cascade of failure being perpetrated on America by greedy dirtbags who want cheap, exploitable labor. And so we hear this mythology. Well, the guy was working. Okay, he wasn't supposed to be. That's why they get tourist visas, because under a tourist visa, you're free to breathe the air, you're free to visit with family, you're free to drive on the roads if you have a license or, or visit hotels. Do what you want, but do not work. And I can tell you a funny story. I walked into a gas station one day because there was a complaint that we had gotten that they were hiring illegal aliens. So I walk into the gas station. This is many years ago. This is before it was even a crime for knowingly hiring illegal aliens, early 80s. And there is some guy under a car, and he's on one of those um, crawler devices. You know, it's got little wheels. It's almost like a skateboard, but it's big enough to lie on. And he's under a car, and you hear all this clanging and hammering, and he's doing some work under the car. And I kick him in the boot. He rolls out from under the car. Picture the scene, folks. This could be a scene out of a comedy. And he is wearing a... A, a navy blue jumpsuit, a mechanic's jumpsuit with his name on it, no less. And he is covered in grease. His face is covered in grease. He's got grease on his glasses. He has grease under his fingernails. And when I kick him in the boot and he crawls out from under the thing, I look at his name, and the name was the name on the complaint that we received. I'm not sure why someone ratted him out. Maybe he was messing with someone's girlfriend or wife. God knows, but we had a complaint. If you go to the gas station... There's this guy, Demetrius. He's a Greek. He's in the United States illegally. And he rolls out, and there's his name. I said, what's your name? And he starts to hesitate. I said, is it the name on your jumpsuit? He said, yeah, it's my name. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm not working. In fact, I think he said I'm not working when he saw my badge initially. I'm not working. So picture how silly this is. The guy is under a car in a, in a, in a, in a mechanic's uniform with his name on it, coated in grease, and has the chutzpah to look me in the eye and say, I'm not working. I said, sure you're not. So I got a hold of the boss. I said, who is this guy? He said, oh, he's my new mechanic. I said, there you go. So he gave me a copy of the guy's time card, gave me a copy of the guy's W-2. This is before they had to fill out I-9s. The employer didn't realize that he had hired an illegal alien, and we arrested him. 
He was deported within, I believe, two days. It was easy. We found his passport. We went before the judge. He said to the judge, the guy's here on a tourist visa. He's working. Judge says, fine, you're deported. He was on an airplane by the end of the week. End of story. He stole a job. That's how critical jobs are. Losing a job is high on the list of traumatic events that happen to people. If you, if you look at studies, the death of a loved one, a divorce, and loss of a job are at the top of the list of traumas that people can suffer. The loss of a loved one, a divorce, loss of a job. Every time a foreign worker comes to the United States, the potential exists that we are visiting a trauma upon an American worker or a lawful immigrant who came to America to be successful. We are depriving Americans and lawful immigrants the opportunity to be successful in their own country because today America has an unlimited appetite for cheap labor and immigration lawyers have an unlimited appetite for clients. And if you look at who is in Congress, you have immigration attorneys there, both political parties. Bob Goodlatte is leaving the House at the end of the year. And if you read Bob Goodlatte's bio, he is an immigration attorney who, before he came to politics, had clients in nine states, was involved in bringing in H-1Bs workers, and so forth. So there's no mystery as to what is happening. It's that we, the people, have been stupid and gullible and listening to the lies and the propaganda being shoveled at us by the politicians from both political parties. And when you can look at the Democrats screaming about how it's unfair that the Border Patrol defended themselves when they were the targets of rocks and bottles being thrown at them by aspiring illegal alien thugs who want entry into the United States preferably without creating a record, many of whom had been previously deported, many of whom might be fugitives from justice, some of whom might be terrorists or affiliated with terrorism. And the Democrats are jumping all over the Border Patrol for daring to defend themselves. I guess the Border Patrol agents should have just seen the riot, got in their cars, and went home for the day. See, that was what they want. But how much are the Republicans doing to help us? Think about it. We have about 6,000 ICE agents, half of them not doing immigration work. I keep making the point, the word ICE tells you all you need to know. Immigration and customs enforcement, ICE. Why in the world we blended immigration in with customs is beyond me. But if you look at the testimony, the statement made by John Hostetler when I testified before him, and, and Hostetler at the time, real good guy, conservative Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, cr complained bitterly about how, even though it was clear to everybody that 9-11 was the result of immigration failures, not customs law failures, not agriculture law failures, immigration law failures. Why in the world? Would the president, George W. Bush, merge those agencies with one another? Uh, it, it makes no sense. And, and so, in fact, it was interesting because I testified at a hearing, and the hearing was convened to discuss the dual missions of immigration and, and how it had messed things up. 
And, and so if you look at the testimony from John Hostetler, and I'm pulling it up even as, as I'm speaking with you, here is what he, he, he kind of talked about. Well, kind of, this is what he had to say. I'm going to read this to you. But, but please go to my articles because I want you to be armed with the facts. I want you to be able to speak intelligently with your neighbors. But let's do everybody a big favor here, folks, because I see the comments, and I'm happy that, Pete, that my articles for Front Page spark conversation. They also write for the social contract. I'm happy that it sparks conversation. But so many times I, I hear this, and I, and I hear this on conservative programs, you know, the Democrats, the Democrats, and all this other nonsense. The leadership of both parties, you can call them anything you want. I'll be right there with you, shoulder to shoulder. But so many people are Democrats because the Democratic Party used to be the party of labor. I am registered as a Democrat. I can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat. But really, you go vote these days, it's kind of like the, the, the two-headed coin that's really not two-headed. You know, tails, they win, heads, we lose. That seems to be the way the elections go these days. But understand why your neighbor might be a Democrat, especially if they're a little bit older. They're probably thinking, oh, the Democratic Party, Harry Truman, JFK, the party of labor, Scoop Jackson, who was strong on defense from from Washington State. These were great people. They got it. They were trying to protect American workers. In the old days, the division between Democrat and Republican was fairly clear. The Republicans stood with business owners, and business owners have legitimate concerns. No two arguments here, folks. But there is a traditional divide between labor and management. It goes back to, to, to as far back as you want to go. You're either a boss or an employee, an employer or an employee. And, and so both sides have legitimate concerns, and both sides get it right sometimes. Both sides get it wrong sometimes. But that was the division. But when the Democrats knife the American workers and their families in the back, and they do it at every single opportunity you give them today, they hate American workers. They hate American families. They are in love with anybody from any country, provided the person comes illegally. Don't come legally. Come illegally. They will love you to death. They will throw open the doors for you. They're nuts. They're immoral and they're nuts. But uh, in the old days, the Democrats did those things that made sense for American workers. When they stopped supporting American workers, the American family found nobody their side until Donald Trump came along. And think of the animosity he is experiencing from both political parties. There's a reason. Donald Trump is supporting Americans. These politicians hate the average American worker. They love you if you have a fat checkbook. Then they're going to love you. But increasingly, Americans don't have fat checkbooks. So we're worthless and useless to them. They manipulate us. They lie to us. It's about seizing power, and at the same time, they're taking America apart. They are dismantling our country. And when you hear the term disruptive, there's a new company in town, and they're being disruptive. Be very concerned about that word, because when I went to school, if you were disruptive, your parents probably got a phone call, and they weren't happy with what they heard. How is it a good thing to be disruptive? It's one thing to say it's a game changer. It's revolutionary amazing progress. No, disruptive. 
America is being disrupted today by its open borders and the chicanery and corruption of both political parties. So everyone is excited to say that things are being disrupted. Yes, let's destroy America and remake it in our image. Think of Obama. Change has come to America. And I remember when Obama said that, one of my friends said to me, Mike, isn't change good? I said, you know, if we were sitting in a lifeboat because we'd been passengers on an ocean liner that sank, and we are in frigid, shark-infested, choppy water, then I say to you, you know, I'm hungry, but at the same time I'm seasick and I'm cold, I feel miserable. My friend in that lifeboat could say to me, you know, Mike, I could change things for you. Really? Can you change things? Please change things. He could throw me into the water and feed the sharks. Would he have changed my situation? You're darn right. Is it the change I wanted? Hell no. And that's the change that we've been getting. We're going to change things for America. Sure we are. We're going to encourage people to rent their neighbor's car because nobody has the money to buy their own car anymore. And the guy that does have a car can't afford to keep it. So maybe you can help him out. Is this what the American dream has become? So understand, if you're going to have conversations with your neighbors, if you're going to persuade them, it starts with empathy. Start with a question. Before you start running your mouth and telling the neighbor that he's an idiot, start out by asking him why he has his or her beliefs. You may be shocked. And you may see in the answer an opportunity to get them to see things a bit differently. If they think this is about compassion, then you need to be a realist and understand that America, going back to that concept of the lifeboat, is a, is a big lifeboat. But no matter how big a lifeboat is, it can be overfilled. And if it's overfilled, it will capsize. And if it capsizes, nobody survives. Half the people on planet Earth arguably, are now living below the poverty line. Can we bring 3 billion people to the United States and survive? I hardly think so. We can't bring a billion people and survive, folks. So either we recognize, to use the Clint Eastwood line, not only does a man have to know his limitations, or a woman for that matter, but countries have to know their limitations. If we overextend America, and if you look at the national debt, I assure you we have, then we weaken America. And waiting in the wings, China, Russia, and Iran. There's no winners here, folks. Let's remember that China is a communist country. I don't know how in the world they got most favored trade status, but they're an adversary. A year ago, we admitted 152,000 Chinese students and taught them the STEM curriculum, science, technology, engineering, and math. They hack our computers. We educate their programmers. They're building up their military and threatening us with their artificial, illegal artificial island in the South China Sea that they have militarized. Well, the engineers who are militarizing that artificial island and built the artificial island were likely trained in the United States of America. And when aliens work and when aliens go to school in America, they're then eligible to get optional practical training and work for American companies so they could put their new skills to use. 
frequently Chinese students work for country, companies that get military contracts so they commit acts of espionage. Is this really in America's best interest? Thank God we finally have a president by the name of Donald Trump who's trying to reign in China. And listen to Wall Street yowling, oh my God, he's imposed tariffs. Yes, China has been manipulating money, ripping us off, uh, not recognizing intellectual property rights, and so you finally have a president uh, that has a little chutzpah, you know, has some gonads in his shorts, and everybody's all excited about it. This should have been done decades ago. We wouldn't be in the spot that we are in today. Think of the damage this has done. How do you think North Korea got its technology for weapons and missiles? We provided it through China. Understand the dangers that we're facing and how America has become its own worst enemy. Now, let me just read to you. I started reading this. This is John Hostetler. The date of the hearing was May 5th, 2005. So we're talking about 13 and a half years ago. The title of the hearing is The New Dual Missions of the Immigration Enforcement Agencies. And he was looking at the inspectors at the airports as well as the agents. I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. But if you, if you go to my articles, you'll see links to this hearing at other hearings. And I was one of the witnesses at this hearing. And so he said that the Homeland Security Act enacted in November 2002 split the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, or INS, into separate immigration service and enforcement agencies, both within the Department of Homeland Security. The split had been pursued by Chairman Sensenbrenner based on testimony and evidence that dual missions of the INS had resulted in poor performance. In fact, I had had discussions with Sensenbrenner, his people, and I had testified at other hearings about that very issue. So I contributed to that understanding, which is why I was called as a witness to this hearing. And then he goes on and says, there was a constant tug of war between providing good service to law-abiding aliens and enforcing law against lawbreakers. The plain language of the Homeland Security Act, Title D, creates a Bureau of Border Security and specifically transfers all immigration enforcement functions of the INS into it. Yet when it came down to actually creating the two new agencies, the administration, that is to say, the Bush, George W. Bush administration, veered off course. Although the service functions of INS were transferred to USCIS, that's United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, the enforcement side of INS was split in two. This wasn't supposed to happen, by the way, folks. Okay? It was split in two. What is now Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, to handle interior enforcement and Customs and Border Protection, CBP, to guard our borders. ICE was given all customs agents, investigators, intelligence, and analysts from the Treasury Department, as well as the Federal Protective Service to guard federal buildings and the federal air marshals to protect our airplanes, and finally, the INS investigators. Think of this hodgepodge. I'm, I'm saying this now. This isn't hostelling. Think of the hodgepodge that was created. Why? This wasn't an accident. And then Hostetler goes on and says, CBP was given all Treasury Customs inspectors at ports of entry, agriculture inspectors from the Department of Agriculture, and INS inspectors. At no time during the reorganization planning was it anticipated by the committee, that's the Judiciary Committee, that an immigration enforcement agency would share its role with other enforcement functions, such as the enforcement of our customs laws. This simply results in the creation of dual or multiple missions 
that the act sought to avoid in the first place, failures to adhere to the statutory framework established by the Homeland Security Act has produced immigration enforcement incoherence, okay? Immigration enforcement incoherence that undermines the immigration enforcement mission central to DHS and undermines the security of our nation's borders and citizens. Um, I mean, this is astonishing. And he says, it is also not known on what basis the federal air marshal should become part of this agency, especially since it has been revealed that the policy is to not apprehend out-of-immigration status aliens when discovered on flights. If the mission of Homeland Security is to protect the homeland, it cannot affect, mission, it cannot affect its mission by compromising or neglecting immigration enforcement for customs enforcement. The 9-11 terrorists all came to the United States without weapons or contraband. Added customs enforcement would not have stopped 9-11 from happening. What might have foiled Al-Qaeda's plan was additional immigration-focused vetting and enforcement. And so what is needed is recognition that, one, immigration is a very important national security issue that cannot take a backseat to customs or agriculture, two, Immigration is a very complex issue, and immigration enforcement agencies need experts in immigration enforcement. And three, the leadership of our immigration agencies should be shielded from political pressures to act in a way which could compromise the nation's security. Why in the world do you think they created DHS the way they did? Because the goal of the Republican Party and the Bush administration was to make damn sure that there would be no effective immigration law enforcement. It was that important for them to placate the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and all the other special interest groups to keep the supply of cheap, exploitable labor, the supply of foreign tourists, the supply of foreign students, and most important for the politicians from both parties, the supply of clients for immigration attorneys flowing into the United States ever more rapidly. On 9-11, we had 26 visa waiver countries. If you read the 9-11 Commission report, and I have, in fact, I provided testimony to the commission, as I'm sure you know, they made it clear that the issuance of visas was flawed and many of the terrorists were granted visas. They said, tighten up the visa process. Okay, we had 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11. That should have meant the end of the visa waiver program. Well, guess what? Instead of ending it, they kept expanding it under both the Bush and Obama administrations. They finally stopped expanding it because they have a different sort of president in the White House, a man who believes in sovereignty and secure borders. But nevertheless, we went from 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11 to 38 visa waiver countries now. And to show you how insane and corrupt we are, if you remember, the mainstream media would not have anybody on to talk about immigration who had immigration enforcement background after about 2007, 2008. Because after 9-11, I was averaging 15 to 20 television appearances per month on MSNBC. Believe it or not, I was there probably more frequently than any other network. Think where they have gone. CNN, Fox News, ABC, and I did one interview on the Today Show. They don't have anybody on to talk about it. So this mythology was created that uh, we're not going to have anyone on from immigration. 
And, and, and so the whole narrative changed. Suddenly, nobody wanted to talk about immigration and the impact that immigration was having on national security. And, and that seems to be the problem. Fox News, you know, to a lesser extent, but, but they, they're, they're, they've been better, I will tell you, than the other networks. In fact, I just did two appearances on Fox and, Fox and Friends, Fox and Friends and Fox and Friends first. Uh, I hate to tell you how early I had to be in studio at 5 a.m. They actually picked me up at 4 in the morning. It's kind of an ungodly hour. But they're willing to have this conversation. They're willing to say, look, we're, we're creating an opportunity for terrorists to enter the United States. The other networks don't want to talk about it. If you dare suggest anything like it, you're accused of being a bigot, even though our immigration laws have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. But what was so remarkable was that even those networks, when we saw the, the terror attacks in France and Belgium and elsewhere, they brought on intelligence experts. <clears throat> and every one of them said the same thing that I've been screaming about since 9-11, and the visa waiver program. <clears throat> so Congress, with Obama, got together and concocted what can only be described as a travesty. They came up with enhanced and enhanced visa waiver program. When I tell you what it is, if you're not familiar with it, you're going to think I'm kidding. You're going to think I'm making this up. You're going to think I've, I've, I've become a science fiction writer. Because when I saw this, I didn't know if I wanted to laugh, cry, scream, or maybe do all the above simultaneously. The problem with the visa waiver program is that under the law, if you get a visa and lie about material facts, you're committing visa fraud, carries a 10-year jail sentence if you're convicted. If you're committing visa fraud to come to America to commit a crime, you're going to rob a bank, do a kidnapping, something on that order, the penalty goes to 15 years. If the crime involves drugs, the penalty goes to 20 years. If you commit visa fraud in conjunction with terrorism, now the penalty is 25 years in a federal jail. That's a huge penalty. There aren't too many crimes under federal law that put you behind bars for 25 years, a quarter of a century. But under the visa waiver program, this goes away because no one's applying for a visa, you see? So that goes out the window. We lose that. And, and the other thing is that we're seeing increasingly that there are first-generation radical Islamists who are growing up in those visa waiver countries, England, Germany, France, and so forth, and they're the ones carrying out these attacks. So they are eligible to hop on an airplane and come to the United States, even though they're radical Islamists. Uh, you know, if you go back to uh, 1998, in February, two days short of the fifth anniversary of 9-11, of, of the 93 bombing at the Trade Center, rather, four years before 9-11, Diane Feinstein said maybe we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens who are citizens of countries that sponsor terrorism. Maybe we should end the visa, pro visa waiver program, and maybe we shouldn't be giving training to aliens who come from countries that sponsor terrorism in, in such areas as biochemistry, nuclear physics. We're potentially teaching terrorists how to make weapons of mass destruction, and she went on and gave specific examples of such terrorists who were educated uh, in, in those fields of science. But now the problem is, since 1998, that was 20 years ago, we are now finding, coming online, these folks who were born in the visa waiver countries, not the terror-sponsoring countries, and so they can now enter the United States without a visa. What was the solution? Instead of ending the visa waiver program, because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce had partnered with the hotel, hospitality, travel, 
and manufacturing associations to create the Discover America Partnership, where if you go to the website, they boast that their goal is to do everything possible to make it easier and faster for anybody from anywhere to gain easy access to America. You know, let's fill the hotel rooms and the baseball stadiums. Never mind that we're also filling the morgue. They don't care. All right. Dead bodies are speed bumps to them. They don't care. And let's face it. The funeral industry is an industry. Maybe they're drumming up business for the funeral industry as well. So what was this great solution that Congress concocted with Mr. Obama? The enhanced visa waiver program. So now if within the last 90 days, an alien who comes from a visa waiver country, let's say England, France, Germany, pick a country. If within the last 90 days, they have been to one of six or seven countries on the magic list, similar to the countries, by the way, that were on the list that President Trump came up with for the, uh, travel, the entry restriction. I don't call it a travel ban. It's an entry restriction. Um, so if they've been to one of those countries in the last 90 days, they now need a visa. Just stop and think of the idiocy of this. Do you really think that a terrorist who went to Syria, went to Lebanon, went to Ethiopia, whatever was on the list. I'm not sure if Ethiopia is on the list. Sudan. Do you think they're going to walk into a United States embassy or consulate overseas and say, here's my transcript from bomb-making school. I need a visa to come to the United States. Are you serious? What they're going to do is conceal their travel to those countries and enter under the visa waiver program. I'd love to know how many aliens have actually applied for visas since they put that idiotic ruling into effect. This was not done to protect us. This is part of the magic act. It's part of the kabuki theater to mislead Americans into believing that they're acting on our best interests. They're not going to act on our best interests because we don't have enough money to buy them. We actually need a new position in our government today at all levels, the official auctioneer. Maybe they could hire somebody from the Meekum Auto Auction because I think he's pretty good. There's a few good auctioneers out there. You know, what are my bids for American lives? What are my bids for the American middle class? Because it's going away. And I guarantee you we can't win that bidding war because the super wealthy who have billions to invest, the Gates and Zuckerbergs and the others, are getting exactly the government they want, and they're getting the policies that they want. They're getting the sweetheart deals that they want, and they're getting them from both sides of the political aisle. So when you talk to your neighbors and they say to you they've separated the families, you can explain that in a typical year, over a half million American children are in foster care, and nobody seems to give a rat's tail. You can also explain that the same thing happened under the Obama administration and that when people are arrested, they are not generally sent to jail with their children. The reason that they're being separated is because they made a willful decision to violate our laws and come to the United States. And this emphasis on these are applicants for political asylum, you know, I know that the word asylum, the word refugee, is an emotionally loaded term. I'm Jewish. My family was decimated in the Holocaust. I was named for my grandmother who was slaughtered in Poland because of our religion during the war, during the Second World War. So when you hear the word asylum, when you hear the word refugee, 
if you're a decent person and your neighbors who are concerned are decent and compassionate people and you should respect that. They're misinformed. They're being taken for the proverbial ride. But to go after them as though there's something wrong with them is a very big mistake. I'm sure that most of the people you know that think that Trump is wrong think he's wrong because they've been spoon-fed lies by the mainstream media, and so they've come to accept the lies as the truth. Just as so many people have said to me, well, at least the Republicans are on our side. Not really. If they were, we should have at least as many ICE agents as we have members of the New York City Police Department, and ICE wouldn't be ICE. It would simply be immigration enforcement. In fact, I had suggested to Jim Sensenbrenner Uh, when he was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and Lamar Smith, when he was chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, uh, I said that we should create a new agency, and I called it the Bureau of Immigration Enforcement. And the reason that I wanted that name as I started to think about it is that when you pronounce that acronym, B-I-E, you're saying bye, isn't what you say to some fool that you've deported and put on an airplane. So understand that while there are individual politicians who are trying to do the right thing, they're not going to be allowed to do the right thing by either party. My friend Lou Barletta should have won that seat in the Senate. He was a member of the House. He lost the election, and that never should have happened, but he never got the support of the Republican Party that he should have had, especially considering how pivotal Trump's election was and, and how much of a role Lou Barletta played in in, in helping to get President Trump elected. The Republicans are on the same page. And in fact, one of the arguments that we also hear is we can't deport all these people. All we can do is legalize them, which is bunk. You, when you have violations of law, you arrest as many as you can, you publicize it, you impose penalties, and you make it clear to people that there's zero tolerance for violations of law, which is what President Trump has tried to do to create a zero tolerance policy. Instead, because of the immigration lawyers, the debate became, well, since we can't deport them all, we should legalize them all. Now do we give them citizenship or, quote, unquote, only permission to work? No matter what we do, this means that the immigration lawyers will have tons of work. Every waiting room in America for immigration lawyers will be filled to the brim. That's the goal. Please understand the issues. Please engage your neighbors and family in peaceful conversation suggest that they read my article, if they're willing to be open-minded enough. Please understand, folks, this is not an anti-immigrant position that I take, but it's definitely a pro-enforcement position. And let's remember that our immigration laws were enacted simply to protect national security, public health, public safety, and the future of Americans and their children. I couldn't think of a better reason or a more important set of laws that America should enforce to protect Americans of every race, every religion, every ethnic group. Just please get involved. Remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. I look forward to seeing you next Friday. Thank you for joining me today. And uh, again, folks, remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. Please get involved. Check out my articles at frontpagemag.com. That's Front Page Magazine and The Social Contract. Have a great evening. So long.